Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am excited because I am here today with my good friend, Jeremy Fox. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Sorry, I missed the last one. Nah, it's good, man. It's, uh, it's life, right? We have to put priorities first. And uh, I would definitely say Birdie is on the top of the priority list for you. I think it was a teeth thing back then, a few months, several months ago. Um, Jeremy and I go way back. I'm talking way back. It makes me sound like we're really old right now when I say that. Or we have actually even met. Yeah. I mean, like, both of us went to Johnson and Wales. Both of us worked in the Bay Area for many years. Um, and for a long time, Jeremy was doing whole pig dinners down at Manresa. For a lot of people who don't know that, Jeremy does cook swine very well. Um, and then uh, you went up from Manresa to Ubuntu, which was revelatory for a lot of folks. Um, but what I wanted to do was start off with kind of you giving a little bit of introduction of how you started cooking and how you got into this, because you've really uh, changed, I think, a lot of people's thought process on how they look at food. And um, you've done that really organically and in a really methodical way without beating people over the head. And I think that's been a really, um, really amazing role that you've led. Well, thank you for that. I uh, didn't try to do any of it. Um, it's, it's not what I, um, it's not the direction I had planned on going um, after high school or even when I decided to go to culinary school. Um, but, you know, the culinary school thing was kind of a, you know, it had been a bug that had always been in my head uh, about just having like a, you know, an Applebee's kind of thing or, you know, something like that. And then uh, I saw a big night and that was literally what made me go to culinary school, um, which was a little bit impulsive. But, you know, I also was not enjoying, you know, the, the normal stuff I was doing at Georgia State at the time. Um, and this seemed like, you know, the Wild West, you know people weren't really going to culinary school back then, or, you know, chefs weren't, you know, no names other than a few people, you know? Um, I think when you and I got in this game, it was, it was definitely the wild west. There was no big major players, except, you know, there was the staples, right? There was Mark Miller, there was Wolfgang, Wolfgang. Larry Forgione. Um, you had Jeremiah Towers. You had a handful of like greats um you know the new york daniel blue and but it wasn't what it is now and it definitely was the wild west it was like the last bastion of pirate ships you know mm -hmm. yeah um but i really like for some reason really gravitated to the to the environment of that it was back then um you know i think part of it was that i wanted to pay my dues um and some of that was also based on this movie, uh, Swimming with Sharks, um, that Kevin Spacey as a, uh, a movie producer and then Frank Whaley uh, as like his assistant who just gets abused. Um, so I was definitely willing to take any abuse that, that was given to me. 
like with a smile. I think at that time we all did. I mean, it was, it was part of the learning curve. I mean, we, we chose to work crazy hours. We took, we chose the intensity for the education. I mean, it was really, that was the only way we were going to get the education other than reading books. Yeah. And I think that was how you set yourself apart from other people is how much earlier off the clock are you coming into work? Uh, how much later after you clock out, are you working? Um, those were, those were kind of the most advertised ways to get ahead, I guess. And, and it's, it's crazy because that, you know, now, you know, none of us would even ask staff to do that at this point. And oh, no, no. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah, it's a great thing. And it's just it's a non-existent thing at this point. But um, so what was your, when you first started cooking, what was your first job, like real job in a kitchen physically? My first, my first job in the kitchen was Chick-fil-A at uh, North Lake Mall in Atlanta. Really? Yeah. You're now probably my son's hero just for that because he thinks Chick-fil-A is the best thing since sliced bread. You know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Chick-fil-A, but I don't know if it's still the same, but back then, like, we were getting in fresh chicken breasts, breading them by hand. Like, I can't imagine that's done anymore. I doubt it. I think it's probably all done in a, in a, in a big facility that's then they do it in bulk and then ship it out. Yeah. I'm sure they have to. But with the amount location there's no way but yeah that was that was crazy you know that's that's definitely not considered fast food nowadays if you do it that way right um and then in culinary school i got a job as a uh, a prep cook at a place called it was actually it was an opening it was called sonoma cafe and wine bar um in you know downtown charleston beautiful space um it was like fusion food but i was really into it and uh, that was, you know, kind of where I learned about like the hierarchy and, you know, the way things, the way you got to do things. Um, you know, I remember the, kind of my first introduction was, you know, I was a prep cook and I was, you know, seeing one of the line cooks needed something and she said, uh, you know, told me that they were, they're out. So I, it needs to be 86. So I went and 86 it. And then the chef is like, who the fuck do you think you are 86ing a dish? I'm the chef. And I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> and uh, I didn't do that again. Yeah. And then he was like, go back over there and go make what I just told you, what you just exactly. did. <laughs> I, I, I literally thought I was just doing what I was supposed to do. So, it, it, you know, it was those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hearing who at that point was, somebody that was over you, the line cook saying, you need 86 this. So you went and did what that person asked you to do. But she kind of, or that person, that cook missed a step in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little bit of sabotage, but, um, <laughs> or just like, um, so talk about your, your trajectory from there. I mean, you know, you're at, you're in, Charleston, you're you're working at this 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 place as a prep cook. Where do you go from there, and what were the steps to get from, you know, Charleston? How do you get to California? How how that whole process worked? Because I think a lot of people 
really need to understand how much time and energy and effort you've put into getting to where you are now. This didn't just happen overnight. I mean, you toiled. I did. And, you know, it definitely wasn't an obvious route. It wasn't methodical. Um, I, you know, signed up to do my externship um, through the school, which I had to do. And my mom was living at Boca Raton, Florida at the time. So I thought, uh, I'll, you know, that seems like a cool thing. You know, I'll, be, I'll stay with her. Um, and I was doing it at the, uh, the Boca West Country Club. But my mom had sent me ahead of time, like she'd always send me like newspaper clippings and there was this restaurant called Bistro Zena. That it just, you know, at the time I thought it was just, it looked amazing. So I, I got a job there like part-time and then they convinced me like, just screw your externship, just work here full-time. And that's what I did. Um, so I, I worked the line, that was my first line cook job. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. You know, I got my ass handed to me a lot of times, but I had, there were some really great um, people there who like took me under their wing and, um, I, you know, I really enjoyed my time there. And then I, I went back to Charleston to finish school. Um, and I worked at Anson. I got to work at Anson with uh, Chef Mike Lotta, who was, who was kind of the first person to, for me to see like farmers coming to the back door with, with the ingredients and, um, you know, I was looking at the, all the Charlie Trotter books at the time and all like, cause like they listed all the varieties of the vegetables and I was starting to actually see those varieties of vegetables coming in the back door. And it, it was, it was pretty cool. Like by the time I was done there, I had pretty much seen all the vegetables that were in the Charlie Trotter book. So it felt like, it felt like a win um, and, and you know, that was a great place to work. It's so interesting you mentioned that. It's like the Charlie Trotter book, right? This is like, we're talking pre-big internet where that's the information that we had. We had photocopies of menus. We had cookbooks with pictures in it. Mm -hmm. um, or some friend of ours went to a restaurant or we waited for food arts, right? Like that was it. No e no e it, no nothing. Instagram, nothing. Nothing. We were like grabbing at straws, you know, scratches of paper to try to get some form of information. So the restaurant that you at, at Boca, who was the chef there? His name was uh, Christopher Dutka. Did you work with Mark Zatuni out there? Mark Zatuni, no, I don't, I don't, Is that, I don't yeah, recognize that, that name. restaurant rings a bell with me, but just the name. I don't know. It was a lot of ex-Mark uh, Militello guys. Hmm. Um, and for folks out there who don't know Mark Militello, he's one of the original Mango Gang with Robin Haas, um, Alan Norman Van Aken, Norman Van Aken, Susser, like those guys. Uh, not Susser Lee, Alan Susser. Um, yeah. You know, those guys really helped pioneer what was known as Flor Floridian cuisine. Um, so from there, you you know, you're you're now with Mike Lotta, and what what is what's next? So, you know, I was, I was with um, Anson for about a year and a half until I, until I moved back to Atlanta. Um, but during that time, I, had, I did my externship at Charleston Place Hotel. So, and that was a miserable summer because um, you know, I was working full-time at, at uh, Anson on the line at night and then five days a week. And then five days a week, I was working um, uh, either banquet prep or doing omelets on the line on the weekend uh, at the buffet Brutal. from like 6 a.m. to 2. And then I'd go to the other job. So it was, that was miserable. Um, 
has a really bad summer. And I'm sure it was hot as all Hades and you're working your butt off. It was hot and it was kind of thing where like there was nowhere to park. So I ended up like just getting so many tickets and getting booted, you know, several times over the, over the time. Um, and, uh, but you know, I, I kind of thought if I could make it through that, which I did with, you know, a shred of sanity left that I could, uh, I could do, I could do, you know, more. Um, and then, uh, you know, I got, um, I didn't get to finish school. You know, I, I told the story, but I, I got, um, I had two classes left. I was advanced baking and pastry and I went to print out my, um, project, my final project at like four in the morning, five in the morning. And my printer was on a being. So I went out to, uh, to get a new ink at Piggly Wiggly and, um, I got carjacked and I missed the class that morning and they dropped me from the class and said, I'd had to pay to take the class over again. So I, you know, I quit Johnson and Wales with two classes left. Um, and uh, oh, is it, moved. You got carjacked and then they dropped you. Yes. I showed them the, the newspaper article and it, it didn't matter. I didn't fulfill the requirements of the class. So, you know, I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder with Johnson and Wales about that. Yeah. That's just poor form. Sorry. That's just poor form. Hey, by the way, you got, you know, carjacked. You got, you know, you don't, you have to pay for the class over again and finding your car. And yeah, that's really lovely. So, you know, Obviously, you not finishing school didn't stop you, right? Like you've yeah. just gone on and just kept pushing the envelope and pushing yourself to, you know, really find where you want to be and what what style of food that you want to cook. And then, you know, um, after that, how did you get to California? Like, how did you get out here? Um, so I was working at a place called Mumbo Jumbo in Atlanta for uh, Sean Doty. And I was there about two and a half years. I started as line cook and then left as chef de cuisine. And, you know, I remember I was sous chef and then the chef de cuisine got fired. And I, I told my chef, I was like, I want the job. And he's like, do I have to pay you more money? I said, no. He said, oh, okay, you're chef de cuisine. So that's kind of how that happened. Um, but I didn't care. It, it was fine. But I, I, I'd gotten, you know, the bug about California cuisine and, you know, the ingredients that were available. Um, you know, I would, I would call all these restaurants and pretend that I was scoping out a place for a business dinner. So they would fax me the menu because this was before, like they all had websites and, um, I fucking that was, love it. That's that, genius, Jeremy. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was getting menus from like Zuni and, um, Bizu, you know, all like the, the quintessential California, places. Um, and eventually, you know, I, um, found, uh, this chef Keith Luce who had, he had won a beard award, you know, when he was like 27, uh, in Chicago, but he was opening up his own restaurant in San Francisco. And I, I got a hold of him and I was like, I want to work for you. So I moved out there. Um, and I got here, I think it was September 9th, 2001. So it was like two days before nine 11. Um, which wasn't the best time to be, you know, opening a new restaurant and needing a job. Um, but eventually it opened and it, it did pretty well. I remember that opening. Um, that was huge. But it wasn't, I, you know, yeah, it was a, it was really good. Um, I learned a lot there. 
but it just wasn't really uh, wasn't really uh, working out for me. Um, so then I, I ended up at um, Rubicon working for uh, Dennis Leary. And um, I was there for about six months. And, you know, I'd, I'd always wanted to work at Charles Knott Hill. You know, I, I was kind of stuck in my head and um, I got, you know, an opening came came up there. And so I left Rubicon and, you know, I'm, I feel, I think, you know, I feel like that bridge was burned. You know, I think Dennis was a little not happy that I was leaving so, so quickly. It was like, you know, you've worked in, you know, you've been here for six months in, in San Francisco. It's your third job. Good luck. Um, and uh, I wasn't at Charles Knob Hill that long either. I really did enjoy it there. You know, it was, Melissa was great. Um, um, see, Christoph Hill, who opened A16, was part of the the crew then. It was a really small crew, but I really enjoyed it. But I um, I was still always still just like antsy, like ah, it's not it's not it. I thought it was going to be it. And then I got a job as the executive chef of the Sky Hotel in Aspen for Kimpton Group, and I was 25. Moved there in like the summer of 2002. And I had, you know, my expectations for what I was going to do there were, you know, not not realistic. Like I thought I was going to get, you know, show everyone what a, a bar lounge menu could really be. And I was going to get food and wine best new chef. And, you know, I anyone who got in my way, I was just going to destroy them. Um, but, you know, I was below the food and beverage manager and the GM of the hotel and you know, some cocky 25 year old telling you how it's supposed to be done. It doesn't really work. Um, so I put it, I quit, put in my notice and then they asked me to leave earlier. And then they sent a task force chef in who, I think that was you, wasn't it? That was me. That was you. Um, I was at Kimpton Grand Cafe at the time. Okay. In San Francisco. And they just said, Hey, we need somebody to go out to this property. All they just did was that property we need hands for the winter yeah and that's why i meant like how we met we met before we met um and, and i didn't realize i don't think we realized that until several years later when we were talking much years um, later i was like Whoa. much later yeah and it's funny because you were at rubicon after i was at rubicon it's like we've we've been in a lot of the same mm -hmm. <laughs> years yeah it's a small you know it's a small city when it when you come down to it for sure um, but you know when i moved back to the Bay Area uh, in Sunnyvale. Um, David Kinch had just gotten reviewed at Manresa and LA Magazine. And I was like, wow, that this place looks great. Um, so I went and staged and I was like, this is awesome. And uh, I tried to stage again and I couldn't get him on the phone. So um, Dini actually, she convinced me, she's like, just, just go, just show up. And I did, and someone had no call, no show that day, and I got a job. It's amazing. I got right? a job on the Amuse station where, you know, you did the Amuse, you made family meal, and you cleaned the walk-in. And I was in heaven. It's, you know, I went from running a hotel restaurant to cleaning the walk-in, and I, had, I was super happy. At that point... You're at a property that has, I mean, the list of people who have come out of that restaurant. 
are just monumental, right? Um, you're still friends with all everyone that I'll mention, right? So there's like Kim Alter is there, James Shibo is there, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Centeno. Joe Centeno. I mean, he was a CDC when I started. The um, list is long and deep of who. Yeah, we're and I I realized I realized how good people around me were, and. I believed in that restaurant. I believed in David Kinch. You know, this was before, this was before, you know, 50 Best and Michelin stars and uh, even four stars from the Chronicle. Um, and there were some rocky times there where it wasn't super busy and it didn't look good. But everyone there really bought in, like you you knew what that restaurant was, was, was great and just needed to be noticed. And I felt really lucky to be there. And I would, it was a great thing to be like, um, it's a lot better to, I stayed there because like, where was I going to go? You know, I wasn't ready to be a chef again. And there wasn't another restaurant where I wanted to go after that. So I just stayed there till, you know, I guess my expiration date. I mean, you were there, you rose to the top. I mean, how many years were you there? I was there about five years and I was CDC for probably the last year and a half. Um, that's only because James went to Europe. You know, we were Kosu chefs. He's way more talented than me. Um, that's only the reason. Only reason I got it out of uh, a technicality. <laughs> I mean, I remember coming down and having the pig dinner down there with you. And I remember all the fun. And you would come up to Encanto during hopeful dinners. Oh yeah, the beef tartare. I still remember to this day. One of the one of the best dishes I've ever had. I mean, those were those were fun times when everybody was just like constantly seeing what everybody was doing, supporting each other in such a unique way in the in, in the Bay Area. It was such a different time. Yeah, I mean, there's also the time of the the whole hog dinners at uh, Olivetto, which yeah, we all were going. It was like this tri. God, it was <laughs> it was so mind blowing, and I remember Canales was doing those. Yeah, I remember we were all going as a kitchen. Um, on a Monday, and then the Sunday, we were all at the Black Watch in Los Gatos having a drink, and Kinch like pulls me outside, and he's like, "Just so you know, um, dinner tomorrow, like the investors are going to pay for it, so get whatever you want." I was that was like, "Wow, wow, um, great!" It shows how much they respected your skill and care and love of being there. It's, it's amazing. So good times. So you moved on from working with David and, you know, now, I mean, you're in LA now, you know, that was a different road to get there. It's been 11 years now. And I mean, you've really, so you left, you, you opened Ubuntu, right? You were the opening, which was a very unique environment, right? It was attached to a yoga studio and, you know. Vegetarian, vegetarian. Had, a, had a farm. You know, I remember eating there and, and um, you were like, literally, these were just picked like two hours. And, and it was totally insane how much you were working. I mean, you were, you were like full on, full gas all the time. Um, but the autopilot though, like yeah. I never felt like I was working too much. It, it, it just kept going. I mean, it was, it was massive. I mean, it, it rocked everybody when, when Ubuntu just, boom, everybody was like, 
holy crap, what is going on? One, because you flipped everybody upside down because you were doing a lot of meat dishes, you were doing the pork dinners, and then boom. You had always cooked vegetables, but you just like, it was a tsunami of vegetables for everybody. They just had no clue it was coming. And I think it really set a unique precedent from that moment on. It's definitely a time and place thing, you know. For sure. I mean, I remember the meal that Tatiana and I was just, I was like, oh, we need to come do this again and again. It was just so inspiring and eye-opening and fun. That was the thing. It was the, the food was fun. It wasn't precious. It wasn't, you know, it didn't feel like I needed a, a lesson to how to eat it. And I think that's what was really great about it is because a lot of times at that point, people needed lessons on how to eat, right? They were, people were telling yeah. you how to eat your food. Okay, you got to swipe this two times to the right. And then chef it. recommends this. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you didn't do that. You made it. So it, you looked at it and go, this looks delicious. There wasn't an instruction manual. <laughs> you got to eat and have fun. And, and I think it set a precedent. It really did. It was fun. It was fun for a long time because we, there was no template for what was, what was happening there. And, you know, having the produce be so amazing and, you know, a 10 minute drive from the restaurant and, um, yeah, it was, it was, a you know, lightning in a bottle kind of thing. That I think is a perfect example and a perfect yeah. term for it. It was lightning in a bottle, lightning in a bottle in the wrong location. <laughs> you know, if that had been in San Francisco, I think there would have been a different story, but um, in Napa, you know, there wasn't enough population to to keep it going. But I think yes and no. I think in some yes, it would have been busier consistently if it was in the city. But you wouldn't have had the five minute drive to the farm exactly, and it wouldn't have had the same lightning in a bottle experience because of the closeness of proximity to the farm and the freshness and how things were coming in like moments before they were hitting the plate really made a difference. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So a lot of it's a blur, but, um, you know, it was kind of thing where, you know, the review came out from Bauer and all of a sudden, you know, the farmer's market, Chris Cosentino is talking to me and Daniel Patterson and people know who I am now. And, you know, that's a, that's pretty cool, you know, the first time that happens. I mean, I know who you were before. Don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we plenty talked. The thing was, is that I can tell you I was excited for you because how much effort and energy and time you were putting into it. And it made sense. It didn't feel. And as you know, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of places that put time and energy into things because they think it's what it needs to be. Or they think it's the thing that everybody thinks it should be. You were doing it because it was what you believed in, and that was the most important thing. And that yes and no. Yes and no. Like you, you, you can tend to get jaded or get off course because you know people who are flying in from around the world are are saying you're amazing, and then you know people who live in Napa are you know not enjoying it, and so you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to survive on this person flying in from you know, overseas, I need to have the locals come in, but 
you know, the food that I would I would need to serve for more of an accessibility isn't going to have people fly around the world for. So it was just kind of this. What's that? Yeah. yeah, it was that got a little confusing to try to figure out who who I'm cooking for and who 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 I should be cooking for. I think that is a hard question that a lot of people at that point in their career try to figure out because you know, as you were thinking that with vegetables, I was saying the same thing in the city with serving organ meats mm -hmm. because I was viewed as a monster. And you're, the, you're the lips and assholes guy. And I'm, <laughs> exactly. I was the, I was the veg guy. Do you remember we, we used to talk about doing dinners where we would sweat? Yep. I have that. I still have that shirt. It doesn't fit me anymore, but I'm like, I, I should make those again. They were funny. It's great. The ringer. Yeah. They were awesome t-shirts and pink hot dog. They were so mm -hmm. good. I should definitely do those. Man. those I'd buy a new one. I just think that, that that was a really fun time where you and I were talking about that. It's like, yeah, let's do a dinner and you cook the organs and I'll cook the vegetables. And we were just laughing, thinking everybody would like. I don't oh, know why we never did it. We, we should have. I think we were just getting so, we had gotten so busy and we were just like running constantly. And, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you know, you were nominated for James Beard, you, you were in New York, you were doing all these things. And, you know, things changed, right? Times changed and you changed. And, mm -hmm. um, and you and I have talked a lot about that off, off camera. Off the record. Yeah. Off the record, which I think was great that we both had each other to bounce to when we needed it. I think that was really... Yeah. You know, yeah, I think, you know, after, I think when the COVID shut down, I think you were probably the first person I talked to and we're like, this sucks. <laughs> you and I have had many a conversation yeah. about it all. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely a, uh, definitely an interesting conversation to have with people, you know, and I think you and I have been on the same bandwidth for a long time and can really have those conversations candidly without, um, whether it be about what meds I'm taking or, you know, how stressed out we are or, you know, the anxiety driven component of what this business leads us to, or um, yeah, I think it's, it's a big, big conversation piece. Yeah. yeah. It's not always easy or fun either. No, no, no. But I think if we don't have it, we're, we're not, we're not going in the right direction. Because for years they told us not to say anything. Yeah. And, you know, I still feel like there's a little bit of that, you know, when it comes down to it, like people like the idea of um, you struggling with mental health, but they don't want to actually deal with you struggling with mental health. Yeah, there definitely is that world still. You know, everybody wants to, um, that's great that you want to talk about it, but you can deal with it on your own. Yeah, but it, it's business. It's, yeah, but it's not. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a pretty serious conversation that needs to be had. And I think um, being able to talk about it openly with friends or with people in general, I think is really important because it just kind of gives people an insight of to what or how hard it may be for one said individual. Yep. So from Ubuntu, you, <sighs> you did a bit of you know, soul searching. Yeah, you can call it that. I think that's the, yeah. that's the best. And this is, that's when we spend a lot of time on the phone. That's the nice little package that it's 
wrapped up in now. Um, but it, you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't feel like that at the time. Um, and, you know, I think the things I went through, the things I created, um, situations I created for myself, um, you know, luckily I was, I was eventually able to, to see what was happening to my life. And, um, I had to, I had to make a decision. I was like, I got to change everything. You know, and, and, you know, luckily Rustic Canyon kind of gave me that opportunity. You know, it, it was, it was kind of off the, not off the grid, but it wasn't, it wasn't a high profile thing when I took over. Um, you know, I had been there for a, a while before anyone knew I was there. And it was a slow, it was a slow burn, but kind of great things happened there that I'm really proud of that I didn't think were going to happen. You, you really, you know, with what you were doing at Rustic Canyon and, and, you know, and I was talking to you quite often back then and you were telling me what you were working on and what was happening and the food you were putting out was really, really beautiful and true to you. Um, it's amazing. I mean, I, I've had great meals there. I've had great meals at Birdie G's. Um, you know, it's like the, you're having fun and it was really coming through. Like you found the fun again. It did. And, and it felt like I wasn't even trying as hard as I, I wasn't trying too hard. You know, I was still having, you know, working five day weeks for the most part and, um, you know, maybe working 60 hours a week instead of 90 to 100. Um, and it felt very doable, but, you know, I also felt like it wasn't just like this thing where I started there and just everything turned to roses. Like I was, you know, I felt a little like isolated there, um, which I think kind of helped, but I also knew that my back was against the wall. And like, if I screwed this up, that was it. You know, I, no one would want to hire me after that. Um, so I think it was, it was, it made me know that I really needed to be a team player. I needed to listen to my bosses. I needed to, um, have results. I needed to make the restaurant financially viable. Uh, those are all things that I knew I had to do in order to keep, keep the job. And it wasn't about, you know, I had, I had, long resided myself to the fact that I'm not, I'm never going to be nominated for a James Beard award again. I'm never going to be kind of in, you know, the good graces of the, of the food world again. Um, I mean, that was a little liberating, but also it's also something that I was trying to like, <clears throat> feeling like I had, uh, you know, blown a, blown an opportunity, you know, but I knew that this was a really good opportunity. And the people were nice. I loved, I loved working there and um, we made the best of it. I think, you know, there's something to be said for, as we get older, we learn to get out of our own way a little bit. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> had a kid in that time, um, wrote a book um, and just got older. That's the one. It's uh I think that's a, a really, you know, 
we all grow up at some point where we all have it figured out. It's not always the fast as fast as we want to, or as easily as we want to. Not everybody's road is roses to get to, you know, to get there. But I mean, you, you know, you figured it out. And you know, it, was, it, it was refreshing because, you know, I kind of, I refused to like cook for people. I wasn't doing tasting menus if people came in, like I'd say order and I'll fill in the blanks. Um, like I couldn't, I still haven't done a tasting menu um, to this day. And, you know, I'd like to at some point and talking about it now, but that's kind of like a triggering thing, you know, cause I was always just, we had the regular menu at Ubuntu and then we had the menu that I was staying up for days at a time um making sure we had for people who would post about it um but i felt like i i i shied away from all those things and things still started happening um good reviews getting busy um beer nominations like it all i it was kind of like a i felt like it was a sick joke like all those years like you killing yourself um you didn't really have to you know, not that like I wasn't working hard. I was still working hard, but not like before. And you be smarter, not harder. Smarter, not harder. And it was also really great people surrounding me. Um, obviously, I couldn't have done without them. I mean, and, you know, from Rustic Canyon, what came next? That was Tallulah? Tallulah's. Um, Weimar. Esters, we did Esters, and uh, then Birdie G's in June of 2019. And uh, same, same partners, same partners, same group. <clears throat> and that's a lot it. of the same, a lot of the same actors. Um, and it was by far the smoothest opening I've ever been a part of. Um, it went really well. I was in a lot of pain at that time because I had. Uh, I had gout and plantar fasciitis in my feet pretty much every day. And then I slipped some discs in my back. And like, I just remember that time is just wearing slippers to work and, you know, not being able to go up the stairs and like needing someone to go get me something upstairs. And it was, it was rough, um, but it was a good opening. Everyone was, did such a great job. And, you know, we were rolling, you know, we were, we were busy. We were, you know, we started out 2020 gangbusters and then um that was it you know eight months in we, we uh we shut down and that's i think i'm now just starting to deal with the 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 effects of that you know because it's just kind of going on 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 instinct and adrenaline for for two years of like okay we're pivoting to this we're doing this we're doing this we're doing this um and now that, you know, the restaurant survived, like they're all open. Um, and which I'm super, super happy for and grateful for. But I think I'm kind of, I, I kind of put off my mental health for so long, just it, there was no time for it. There was no time for, for me to be, um, you know, shaky. Um, so I think it's kind of starting to to happen now, like the last maybe like couple months. It's tough because 
and and I completely, I can see it, the whole thing. You had to be the strong, you had to be the leader, you had to be all these pieces and you couldn't let anybody around you see or feel that because they wanted direction to succeed and survive. It's survival mode, you know, it's fight or flight and you lived it for two years. That's a really long time to be in fight or flight and then your body just kind of runs out of gas. It just needs yeah. You know, I've also been, you know, I, um, working with a, a new psychiatrist and new medication that, you know, it's right now there it's, it's, um, you know, I'm trying different medications. So it's like finding what works and what doesn't, which means some days are, some days are rougher than others. Um, you know, all to the, the end goal of, of feeling you know, strong and feeling like the best version of myself again, which I am not right now. I'm still able to function and I love the food that, that I'm cooking and I love, I love my team and I love being here. Um, so it's like this thing, like all these things are good. Why are you upset? Why are you, why aren't you happy? And that's just not the way it works. I wish people could understand that because, you know, they view everything through a distorted lens. Um, they view yourself or myself through Instagram or what we're doing, what they think we're doing and where they think we should be. But they don't realize that um, those are distorted lenses. It's like looking at someone through the bottom of a Coca-Cola bottle, right? Um, you know, nobody ever really wants to, nobody shows you plunging a toilet in the restaurant on their Instagram feed, right? It's, yeah. just, it's just nobody wants to see the not pretty. So the perception is, is that because everything's moving forward and seems to be going well, that everything just must be roses. And it's not always that way. It's perception versus reality. And I think it's a hard thing for people to choke down to understand that, yeah, it's not a choice. We don't choose to feel this way. Um, we don't want to feel this way. It's just the chemical imbalance that we have in our brains that makes us feel this way. You know, it kind of feels like, and I've always thought about this, like how does a baseball player who's having a really bad season, how do they go home and not have that affect their their life? Like how do they go, you know, be in a, in a huge slump and not just be miserable to be around? Um, and, you know, at this point it feels like I've been in a, a two-year slump, um, which kind of, you know, hurts confidence and um, – just trying to figure out how to get the swing back, you know? I get it. Yeah. Totally get it. If anybody gets it, I do, dude. You know that. That's why we talk about it. You know, I think we're, we're, we're <clears throat> standing at the same plate swinging, just for some reason, the balls keep going the wrong way. It's just the two of us talking. It's not like anyone's ever going to hear this. No, never. No, nobody's going to hear this. <laughs> it's fine. I think, uh, so, Let's talk about Birdie G's and, you know, what you guys are doing there. Um, I had a great, it was such a, a pleasure to be able to come down during the middle of everything being in the complete world of shits, right? Mm -hmm. To have that opportunity. You guys had just been able to allow people in the dining room again uh, when I came down. Um, it was so fun to sit down and just. I ate with you, right? Yeah, you ate with me. Yeah, that's what I thought, yeah. 
it was such a fun night just to like catch up and see what you're doing and see the space because I wanted to come down and then the world turned upside down. Um, I mean, you guys are having so much, the food is so fun and it's personal yet at the same time, people gravitate towards it. It's craveable. It, it just, you know, like I look up and it, you've got how many persimmons had you had hanging? <laughs> 1500. <laughs> That's crazy. And I got to start using them. You were doing kiwis, you know, mm-hmm. there's something that I've wanted to try with dried persimmons for a while. And I still have to try it. I want to do, um, fuck, I'll, you have them. So you do it because I don't have them, nor do I have the product to do it. I, I wanted to do yeah. shaved batarga, a tartlet with shaved batarga and shaved free persimmons. Uh, I see that. That'd be cool. Like you could just. Yeah. I can see monochromatic. I can see, uh, I can see it. It's like totally, you get that sweet and just, and then that richness and mommy and oh my God, just like some, that could just be some like acidic cardoons in there or, or something. Just so fun. Like I just yeah. am thinking about it for so long. God, that would be so bad. I might like it, love it, mine now. <laughs> I love that. So what, what is what was the thought process behind birdie g's because i think for a lot of folks they didn't know what to expect and you came forth with this just it's like a giant hug like i walked in there and i felt like i was getting a giant hug the same thing with the food but it was a hug that was like personal yet unique at the same time it wasn't a, a situation where you're like oh i get that that totally makes sense like like when you served me the strawberry sofrito my head just went I was like, fuck, I'm dumb. How did I not think of that concept? That's an, that's an old one. Um, it's an old one, but it's delicious, dude. It's so yeah. good. You know, I think Birdie G's is a lot different than what it was when it opened. You know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of clarity at the time of what, what it would be. Um, and honestly, a lot of it was driven by the fact that it had to be the main thing is it had to be different enough from Rustic Canyon that people would still go to Rustic Canyon. Um, so it wasn't necessarily my repertoire. It, I wasn't, you know, unleashing signature dishes. Um, you know, it was, it, I guess people had to be patient while I was figuring out what was, what we were going to be. Um, and it's not until like the last few months that it's, it started to kind of solidify itself. But, um, you know, the menu was way too big. It was way too, um, you know, the items were way too disparate. Um, but, you know, it seemed like a lot, you know, it seemed like people loved it. I don't think critics loved it, but we were busy. We were, people enjoyed coming in to eat. And that was, um, that felt really good. Um, but, you know, as things change and, you know, with the pandemic and, you know, reopening with less staff and, less availability, um, you know, it, it forced different thought processes throughout the pandemic of, you know, right now flour and yeast are my biggest sellers and, you know, trying to figure out a one sheet. What's a, what's the one sheet for Birdie G's? Like at Ubuntu, it was easy. It was a vegetable restaurant. Rustic Canyon, it was farm to table. What is, what is Birdie G's? And that, you know, is it a, is it a retro, Midwest restaurant? Is it an Ashkenazi restaurant? Um, is it Italian? 
you know, there's jerk chicken. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I think we've, we've kind of narrowed in on, on what we're doing and, you know, kind of embracing all of Eastern Europe right now. And the food is so comforting and um, just has so much character. And there's, there's a whole lot of inspiration there that, you know, I'm kind of uncovering and my team is uncovering kind of as we, as we research and, and, and try things out. I love it. Well, a lot of meat right now. A lot of meat. I'm in a meat phase right now. That's a good thing. I don't, yeah. I don't dislike those phases. But you know, that's the thing. It's like for a long time, you got pigeonholed. You got pigeonholed as a vegetable guy, just like I got pigeonholed as the gut guy. And I think when you're at Rustic Canyon, you were able to play with, you know, free, be free and do whatever you wanted. And now you're able to do that again at Birdie G's. And you were really, you're just showing people so, so many beautiful broad strokes of what you're able to do. And, and, and you have a great team there. I mean, your staff was so welcoming and so fun that night. I've got a, I've got a great team. Um, super blessed, super lucky to, to have them and, you know, who keep things going on a day-to-day -day basis and, you know, kind of keep me on task as well. And um, it's also really helpful that, you know, Andy Dubrava is, is killing it at Russet Canyon with his, his own style, which, you know, it, it definitely allows me to, to focus on birdie G's and not have to worry about what's going on at Russet Canyon because he's, he's made it his own, you know? Yeah. I mean, I follow Andy and what he's been doing and it's really exciting to see him come into his own as well. So. And then my, my chef de cuisine here, Matt Shaler, like he's, he's been kind of been a rock since, since, you know, before we opened and um, it's a big restaurant. It's especially big now with the outdoors, you know, so our little 5,000 square foot restaurant became a 10,000 square foot restaurant. And, you know, he, he runs it with, you know, really, really careful hand and, um, you know, it's definitely a great environment, I think. Sure. Well, let's, Let's play a game. I like to end it all with a, with a game. Okay. It's uh, there's no wrong answer. So it's just a quick fire. Okay. Okay. Hamburger, hot dog. Hamburger. Ketchup, mustard. Mustard. Dijon or whole grain. Dijon. Beef or pork. Beef. Chicken Beef to eat, pork to cook. Fair. Chicken or duck? Chicken. Chicken's underrated. I agree. I mean, I, I like chicken too. It's interesting to see the difference, right? Um, yeah. I had chicken for dinner last night. Um, <clears throat> nigiri or sashimi? Sashimi. Sea urchin, caviar. Sea urchin. Shrimp or lobster? Shrimp. Favorite crab? Dungeness. Kind of hard not to pick Dungeness, right? I, love I mean, yeah, it's California. But I mean, I love soft shells. I love the blue crab, but there's a lot of work involved. I love soft shell, but I uh, I have this thing where I don't want to, I don't feel that it's the right thing for me to order it from 3,000 miles away when we 
you know, the ocean is 11 blocks from Resta Canyon. Um, so we don't really do soft shell crab, but I love eating it. I love eating them too, but I don't, I'm a Dungeness crab too. But I grew up in New England, so like I'm a lobster guy too, so it's kind of a tough. Yeah. Even those, it's like I feel bad shipping them across, you know. That's a tough one. That's always a tough one. Okay. Pasta, noodles. So what's the difference? Traditionally, as you know, one would be considered Italian, aka pasta, and noodles would be of rice flour and so forth. Ooh. Pasta. Dumpling ravioli. Dumpling. Burrito taco. Taco. Chocolate or fruit? Chocolate. Bitter or milk? Chocolate. What do you say? Bitter or milk chocolate? Oh, um, milk. Wow. Coffee or tea? Hmm, tea. I can't drink coffee anymore. No? No. Bad for the gut. Too, uh, gets me too shaky. Yeah. Too jumpy. Right. A lot of people have been saying that lately. Are we getting old? We're not so Yeah, old. we are. We are. <laughs> we shouldn't be admitting that. You know, we're getting old. We're getting old. <laughs> I, I don't have as big of a beard, so you can't see mine. I keep it trimmed short on purpose. I've got way more gray than you. <laughs> but you uh, look super healthy. You look, you look great. Thanks. You seem you seem great. Thank you. I'm trying. It's not always not always easy. Appreciate Those dimples. <laughs> And if I had those dimples, <laughs> if you had those dimples, Birdie G would, little Birdie would have those dimples. Then you'd be in. Oh little, man, little, I'd be in real trouble. You'd be in real trouble. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be like, uh, oh man. Oof. Favorite? Uh, what's your guilty pleasure? Fast food. Anyone in particular? Anything like? Is it a burger? Is it like fried chicken? Is it? McDonald's cheeseburger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or Wendy's Wendy's cheeseburger. One of those two. Favorite candy? Payday? It's been interesting to hear what people have said. I, I, it's, been, it's been quite the mix of folks. Of yeah. like different, different, like a lot of gummy bears. Gummy bears has been. Bill, I, not a gummy bear fan. I like, uh, I'm a Swedish fish guy, I love Swedish fish. Birdie loves Swedish fish. Uh, we bribe her a lot with those. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the little small pack still? Like yep. your... <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a good move, dude. I like that. Yeah. If you listen to us, you can have this. <laughs> okay. She's a good eater, right? She comes to the restaurant. She seems to eat. No? No. no. Is it she a gets... Only thing she eats here are the fries. Shirley Temple and vanilla ice cream. Is it a rebellion against you or is it just a rebellion? Against you? you know, she's, she was actually a more adventurous eater when she was, you know, two. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like the last couple of weeks, she's been really trying out more things and 
doing better on her meals. A lot of that comes, what I found was that a lot of it comes from the other kids at school, or what, yeah. what her friends are eating. Yes. She doesn't want to be the kid going, I went to my dad's restaurant and I anchovies. And they're like, ew. Well, she, she had the duck at Pajo. And now she loves duck. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave Barron. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> my son, when he was, you know, he's 17 now, but when he was little, he used to eat what all my friends would put in front of him, which was awesome. Like, but man, when he would go to a sushi restaurant, they would, he would eat me out of house and home because of them. I was like, guys, don't do that anymore. Don't always give them the good stuff. <laughs> Is he still a good eater? No. No. It fluctuates. Like, yeah. He still wants, like, for his birthday, he wanted the spaghettini with pure tuna heart. Not really, not many kids yeah. ask for that, right? But yeah. he's still, like, he loves Indian food. He loves burgers, of course, like every kid. Likes fried chicken sandwiches. You know, it's, it just depends on what his days are. You know, he teenager. Was, yeah, he's a teenager. Yeah. You know, I mean, I get bummed by it sometimes. So if people want to find you, uh, best place on Instagram is what? Uh, at Chef Jeremy Fox. And they can most of the time find you, I'm sure, at 30 G's, right? 30 G's, yep. So, folks, if you have a chance, don't walk, run down to Birdie G's and go visit Jeremy because it will not disappoint. Uh, Jeremy, thank you so much for being so honest and candid with me. Um, I thank you, sir. I appreciate our friendship. It's been a long one. And uh, yeah. We gotta cook together soon. It's not like I have a fucking job anymore. I'm a mom. <laughs> I mean, totally should. I mean, we're not that far. No. Yeah, you know, I could drive. I could drive there. I could get in the car right now and be there by dinner. Yeah, you could. What do you want for dinner? I'll go. Um, but yeah, let's figure something out. But um, again, thank you very much, everybody. Make sure if you are in LA, you get down there to Birdie G's. Check out Andy over at Rustic Canyon as well. Um, really, really beautiful food, really special, and uh, just a giant hug when you get there. Thank you. <laughs>